On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, Fred Van Vliet gets fined, but barely, and we will look into a big question going into the final 15 games for the Raptors. What would define success for the team between now and the end of the season, postseason included as well? It's been mixed returns since the arrival of Jakob Pertl. Lots of good, lots of not so good. We'll break all of those questions down with Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1358, I think, of Locked on Raptors for Friday, March the 10th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, we are on YouTube, and we are so close to 3,000 subs on the YouTube channel. I think we're like 13 away, so please be so kind. Go to YouTube, plug little Locked on Raptors into the search bar, hit subscribe. Even if you're never going to come back to the channel ever again, hit the subscribe button, baby. It really helps uh, make me feel good because I like round numbers and my brain is happier when the numbers are round. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, on today's show, the big sort of crux of this episode is going to be looking at the last 15 games for the Raptors and trying to come up with some sort of vision of what success would look like for the team between now and the end of the year. Obviously, the goalposts have moved significantly from the start of the season to now when it comes to qualifying what success is, but I still think there can be like micro success in the final 15 games here as they head into the postseason. Hopefully, a uh, five-game series against one of the heavy hitters of the Eastern Conference. Wouldn't that be lovely, Big V? Uh, we will get to all of that, but first I have a question for Vivek Jacob, a Raptors.com, who is here today. Big V, if I told you you could spend 0.14% of your annual salary to call out in public with many swears your most hated co-worker of all time, would you do it? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I really thought that fine would be more, uh, uh-huh, but at the uh-huh. same time, I can imagine the NBA looking at Fred Van Vliet's sort of body of work and recognizing Mm -hmm. that he has been someone who is very Mm well-spoken and generally always says the right things. And this was more of a one-off where he had reached his breaking point clearly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he didn't even express it in like an aggressive manner. No, it was just very casual swears. It wasn't mean swears, ex- except for the one where he called out Ben Taylor specifically, I suppose. But, uh, you know, <laughs> probably warranted. Have you seen Ben Taylor lately? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I think that probably factored into it. And I'm sure there was a private conversation behind closed doors of, hey, this is not something that we will accept again. Um, <laughs> and there will probably be a much stiffer penalty if it were to uh, happen again and so 
Yeah, I, I think it's fair in, in terms of like just looking at who Fred has been since he's entered the league and what he's represented. And yeah, there's a lot of players that side with him. So, yeah, you know, if I think I'm pretty sure if the league were to also go the other way, then I think the players would also unite against that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as strong as the referees union is, if the players are going to band together against said referees union, uh, you know, I feel like I know who's going to win that duel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so for those who missed it, 30K is the the size of the fine for Fred Van Vliet for his uh, wonderful all-timer Sam Mitchell 000 level post-game press conference after the game against the Clippers on Wednesday. Uh, as Jamar Hines noted yesterday, kind of looking back, Shaq got a game for doing a similar thing on a live broadcast. Uh, so very different, obviously. That was, was in maybe... Toronto. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, Jamar pointed out there as well. Uh, just always caught up in this stuff, I guess. I don't know. The, the, the Maybe the referee conspiracy is real, although in that case it was... I mean... Now that we think about it, if there was a time where Shaquille O'Neal felt he was getting short shrift from the refs in Toronto against the Raptors, the idea that there was ever a conspiracy theory against the Canadian basketball team probably should have died there because that Lakers team was ripe to, uh, you know, be favored by conspiracy theories. Ask Sacramento Kings fans, for example. Uh, so, we don't got to linger on this too long, but yeah, what you got? <clears throat> no, no, no. So I was going to, like, I vividly remember that game. Shaq was mm -hmm. actually sticking up for Vince. Oh. And there were calls down the stretch that the Raptors didn't get. And so Shaq was actually sticking up for that. Never mind. Said, Conspiracy's back on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> How dare the NBA hate Canada this dearly? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad it didn't result in a single game suspension for Fred Van Vliet. I thought that was kind of a long shot outcome anyway, but we are, you know, he's going to play against the Lakers tonight and that is good. Uh, and so we pivot our attention, I suppose, to the final 15 game stretch here for the Raptors. Obviously, things were feeling really damn good until about two minutes left in that Nuggets game based on the 6-3 and three record going into that game, how well they played against Denver. You lose it under unfortunate circumstances. It should also be said, they might have lost that game anyway, probably would have lost that game anyway. Nikola Jokic sure loves to rip out hearts in crunch time and all of that. Um, but, you know, that... That was still a good spirits game. The Clippers game, maybe a little bit less so. The offense getting uh, just nothing at all for, for long stretches of that game, uh, except for their threes, apparently, which was a, a weird sort of topsy-turvy look at the Raptors shot chart from, you know, your, your typical game that you'd see from them. But, you know, before we kind of dig into bigger questions of what success would look like, is there just like a, a key storyline you're, you're watching here down the stretch, Big V, as far as like this might be the thing that determines the success or lack thereof for the Raptors between now and the end of the season? Honestly, I, I think it really comes down to um, the hierarchy over the course of a game. Mm. And I think I'm at the point of the season now where I look at Scotty Barnes and thinking that, you know, the first three quarters and the fourth quarter are going to change in terms of that, in terms of how he's performed. <laughs> uh, we're at the point where now we save that for the off season, right? Sure. Like you have that discussion. It's like, Hey, how do we improve this in the off season? I don't think what we've seen over the first 65 games is suddenly going to change uh, over, over the final 15. Mm -hmm. And so, um, this is kind of what I've mentioned before, where it's like, okay, now the team has to look at it and just say, hey, I loved OG Ananobi's aggressiveness with the three-point shot 
um, the other night against the Clippers. It's like, how do we get that more often, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're OG Ananobi and you're apparently, you know, not the happiest about the touches you're getting and the usage you're getting, identify that as an opportunity, right? Jakob is extremely unselfish. He doesn't care about what his usage looks like, okay? Mm -hmm. So if those, you know, if especially in that first half, if Jakob and Scotty are happy to take a back seat, Step right up, OG. Get your shots in. <laughs> Get all your shots in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I think having that balance uh, down the stretch where it's like, okay, now you get everyone maybe in more of a rhythm going into the fourth and then Scotty does his thing in the fourth, mm-hmm. that maybe can take you up a, a notch offensively. Yeah, the hierarchy, I mean, that's kind of a, a massive question going into the offseason, right? When the Raptors have three pending UFAs and a guy in OG Ananobi who was very much in trade speculation, at, at the very least, if not full-on conversations going into the trade deadline, uh, you know, they're trying to determine who of these guys are going to be with us for the long haul. And it's possible all of them is the answer. If things go well here, if they're able to establish a real hierarchy where it feels like everybody's kind of getting theirs. I think Gary Trent Jr., I'm ready to say that he like just kind of gets it. He seems like as much as he's had his off nights, he really seems to be like, yeah, no, six man is where I'm at. And he seems to be embracing that role in, in a lot of ways, which is great. And I think that that speaks to his adaptability and his sort of buy-in that has been on display kind of under the radar all season long. Um, and so if you're able to kind of establish, hey, this core six, this is how it works. This is how uh, it all, all the interplay happens on the floor. This is the hierarchy. This is where certain guys are going to get their pockets of games uh, to kind of shine. That that goes a long way to helping you answer those questions in the offseason for sure. Um, you know, I have a hunch of something else that's kind of like the bigger question as to like between now and the end of the season, how do these games play out? I'll get to that in just one second. We'll get into a lot more digging into the Raptors and how, uh, you know, these last 15 games plus postseason play are going to play out. We will get to that in just one sec. Before that, this show is brought to you by Better Help. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're growing and changing all the time. I know the guy I am now at 30 is vastly different from the guy who started covering basketball at age 21. It's just undeniable. And sometimes you don't even realize changes are going on until you talk to somebody about it. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't even know what we want or why we react the way we do to things until we talk through it with somebody who is there to listen. And BetterHelp connects you with the licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery for from wherever you are to wherever it is that you want to go. This is not just about dealing with complex emotions. It's just kind of, it's it's better to get all this stuff out and have conversations with people whose entire job is to listen to you. There's no agendas. There's no you know ulterior motives in, in your therapist's conversation with you. They are there to help you, guide you through these emotions and thoughts so you can be a better person on the other side. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch their Therapist anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with better help. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. If you do that, you're going to get 10% off your first month as well. That's betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. Betterhelp, H E L P.com slash locked on NBA. 
All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Big V, Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com along as we examine what success is going to look like for the Raptors if it is to be achieved between now and the end of the season. And as far as sort of big storylines that I think are going to determine how these games go, you talked about the hierarchy trying to establish one, which has been a struggle all season long. I think it's gotten easier, as you alluded to, with Yaka Pertle arriving, taking away some usage, giving a guy off of whom a lot of things kind of orbit, and it just makes it a little bit easier to share the ball among the five players on the floor with his arrival. That said... His arrival has not coincided with necessarily better offense. The Raptors' offense has been worse since he arrived. The They're 21st as of yesterday. I haven't checked the numbers today after last night's games, but they were 21st in the league in offensive rating in the 11 games since Yaka Pertle arrived uh, after the loss to the Clippers. I think the process, as I talked about yesterday, has looked better. You have that sort of staple Fred Yak pick and roll that you're able to get a lot of good stuff out of, but it's all the stuff outside of that backbone play that's been a little bit suspect. Pascal Siakam shot making, Scotty Barnes' touch from two-point range, the up-and-down three-point shooting of Fred and Gary Trent Jr., and guys coming in off the bench, Precious Achua kind of being a no-show. The offense has struggled. And I think how the Raptors perform on offense, the very little incremental improvements they can find without, you know, baking in some sort of vast shooting uptick for a guy like Scotty Barnes. If he comes out tomorrow and is a 40% three-point shooter right away, great, that's awesome. That's not going to happen. And so within the confines of the players and personnel they have right now, are they able to milk just a little bit more out of the offense. The defense, I think, looks pretty legit. I think there's a lot to like there, and it will only get better if the offense is not uh, having to track back after misses all the damn time, where they're not very good in transition. Um, you know, what are your thoughts, Big V? What's your level of optimism that they can get a little bit more out of this offense between now and the end of the year? Are they a victim right now of, you know, maybe some bad luck, maybe some good process not quite leading to the results that they eventually will lead to? Or are there bigger red flags for you offensively that make it maybe a challenge for the Raptors to truly find success between now and the end of the postseason just because of the very limited runway they have to sort this whole offensive puzzle out? Yeah, I think... uh as far as the final 15 games of the regular season are concerned and, you know, going into the play and whatever, the red flag is probably Pascal Siakam's dip uh, yep. offensively. And mm-hmm. I think he, he's not getting to the basket as often as he was. He's not as efficient as he was. And obviously that has a huge trickle down effect. I mean, like even when you're seeing him miss like layups in transition, that's where mm-hmm. you're kind of like, man, like, uh, you know, what's going on here and so you know how much of that is fatigue and having carried the load for so long and uh how much of that is the offense kind of trying to rediscover or like discover a new identity um and you know having to find his place outside of that fred yak pick and roll uh i think that all has to be uh looked at in assessing these final 15 games and so yeah, I think Pascal is probably the biggest one for me. And then again, I'd go back to just, you know, if you look at a general theme for this Raptors team, it's the margin for error. Mm-hmm. And when you have a starting front court of Yak, Scotty, and Pascal, the margin for error when it comes to spacing is pretty thin. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I go back to, okay, you know, you'll get, uh, in a game, you know, your 10 three-point attempts from Fred. Um, and it's, can 
I think by having that front court, OG now has to become a guy that gets up another 10 threes. Yeah. And uh, he's a good enough shooter to do it. And so it's just, can you get the reps? I mean, at, at the very least, he should be averaging, you know, seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that is another opportunity that you have to look at and say, okay, that, again, that intent, that willingness to shoot that he showed against the Clippers, that's something that's probably got to carry out the rest of the season. It can't be a one-off. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that OG game is like a prototypical, hey, like this is how you be the release valve for this shooting starved team uh, type of game. And, you know, he's not going to go four or seven every night, but if he's taking seven to 10 of them a night, then you are very, very happy with that. And he would be happy with that too, probably, because that's going to translate to uh, increased point totals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Pascal thing is really interesting and there's a lot of different ways this one could go i think like and we're probably not going to really know exactly the sort of big picture fit of the siakam barnes yakapurtle front court by the end of this season i don't think we're going to have enough information and i think it really hinges upon is scotty barnes going to advance as a three-point shooter in the offseason is he or is pascal siakam going to advance as a three-point shooter in the offseason if you're not optimistic on that, then there's a bigger probably conversation to be had that will be very uncomfortable come summertime or, you know, next summertime or whatever that is. Um, you know, I think Pascal Siakam can certainly fit on this team, but the returns of the last couple of weeks here suggest that, hey, maybe this is a bit of a sore thumb situation where he's not getting to do the thing he did at the start of the season, where he is this heliocentric, everything flows through him, he reads the game, he manipulates space, he does all of this stuff to be this fantastic driver of offense, but what's he doing when he's more of an off-ball guy, when he's not involved in these actions every single time down the floor? And if you're not a great three-point shooter, that is going to make that more challenging. There are ways around it, obviously. There's good off-ball play. There's cutting. Um, you know, the Raptors, I do think, stand a pretty good chance of being very good at kind of manipulating that co close quarters space where, you know, it's a different kind of spacing. But Yak is good at kind of putting himself in a good spot to not get in the way all that much. And I think Scotty and Pascal have the ability to do that as well. The big to big passing is there. I think that could be a counter to the lack of three-point shooting, but ultimately this is the NBA. Offense rules, three-point shooting rules. If you can't milk enough three-point shooting out of it, you're going to have to ask some tough questions. I still think we're far off from asking those questions just yet, but let me ask you, V, like, is there a, a way you'd like to see Pascal used differently? in the final 15 games that he's been used over the last 11 since Yak arrived? Like, would you like to see him run more pick and roll with Yak? I think that's kind of an interesting, hard to guard play in a lot of ways. It's just like two long dudes kind of barreling at you with lots of optionality as to what can come out of that. Obviously less shooting threat than when you have Fred involved in the pick and roll. Um, is Do you want to see Pascal run more stuff from the elbow, a la Marcus All, Yakupertle, Thad Young type stuff? Like, or are the way they're using him is the way they're using them the right way. He's just got to execute it better. Yeah, so I think for me, when I look at what Pascal has been most comfortable with this season, it's having the ball in his hands. So for yeah. me, uh, in terms of thinking how to get more out of him, that's the first thing, get the ball in his hands. And so what uh, would you like to see happen? We've seen, um, obviously, before Yak came, a lot of the Pascal Fred pick and roll. We said we seen Pascal Scotty action, um, and so if you are gonna get back to Pascal and Fred pick and rolls, and you can use that a bit more than you have, 
then I think I'd probably say you need an extra shooter in there mm -hmm. where Yak can be a screener for those guys and help them, you know, come off curls and that type of thing. Uh, where, you know, Pascal can make the read off of what he's running with Fred and, you know, find the open man. Um, and so I think those are the types of actions that I'd think about in terms of, you know, getting Pascal uh, in a bit more of a flow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think the transition thing, that might just be a legs thing. Yeah. Uh, because we know how good he is in transition. And so if he can get the ball back in those situations uh, to, I mean, he can get the ball in the bucket uh, as often as he usually does in those situations. Uh, then, you know, maybe that'll transfer over to the rest of his game. Mm -hmm. But I do think, you know, especially, and, and we haven't even talked about the defense. The defense has fallen off as well. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and so I think, you know, whether it's missing back cuts or just ball watching, uh, all of those things to me point to fatigue. Uh, and um, a little bit of a lack of engagement. Uh, and so I think whatever is going on there has to be addressed. And uh, I think one of those things coming together, whether it's the transition, whether it's getting the ball more in his hands or just a conversation about the defense, all of the, each of those things can provide an uptick to the rest of his game. Yeah, I, I do think like it, it feels like just like spewing excuses or whatever, but the fatigue thing is real. He carried the team pretty substantially for a very long stretch of the year. He's played more minutes than anyone in the league since coming back from injury. Like it matters. And, and this is the reason people got upset and scared about minutes all season long because, you know, wearing down takes place over the course of 82 games. And so I don't think necessarily the last 11 games are representative of what Pascal Siakam is as a player. Obviously, he's much better than that. We've seen it for two full seasons now. He's been incredible. Even back to the Tampa season, the playmaking, ex you know, you know, expansion of his game was very much on display there. The seeds of the player he's grown into over the last couple of years, a very credible all-NBA level player, were planted back then. But the fatigue is you know, being complicated by the tricky fit. And it's just, it's not a lot of time to figure this thing out. It's a, uh, it, it's a challenge. I would, I think you're totally right. Like more Pascal with the ball in his hands would be a good thing. And I think in particular, you know, we saw in that Clippers game is they were pretty much out of it, but you know, Scotty was kind of doing his darndest to get into the teeth of the defense and really kind of get things going in that fourth quarter and credit to him for trying really hard. He missed a million bunnies, but he tried very hard and that's nice. Um, but if you just changed those possessions into Pascal Siakam possessions, I feel like they would have been way more sort of calculated, less just like. I am the hammer, let's do the nail thing and just like drive into the defense and see what happens. Like Pascal probes with a plan, right? And I think those would have been just healthier looking possessions. Of course, Scotty Barnes being off the ball and not being a shooting threat complicates that as well. It's just, it's a difficult thing to iron out in this very short one runway they've given themselves. It's part of the challenge that the Raptors front office gave themselves was, hey, we got 23, 26 games, whatever it is here to get this thing on the rails and it, you know there's a chance it doesn't all coalesce right away i still think you can pull valuable information from it if it's not kind of at full functioning by by the season's end but what uh, shouldn't be I, difficult to iron out is precious achua 
taking the ball out of Pascal's hands, essentially. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, certainly. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of stuff going on. So I know there's like this already sort of burgeoning, well, Pascal can't fit on this team. You got to move him in the offseason. And look, this is Masai Ujiri we're talking about. He traded DeMar DeRozan in cold blood because it just felt like the time. Uh, and obviously, Kawhi Leonard was coming back the other way. I would not be totally shocked if the the end result of this information gathering period is the Raptors coming to grips with having to make a very difficult decision that I would disagree with, but like I could see it happening where Pascal becomes maybe the guy who gets moved in the offseason. Um, you know, that's that's the stakes that we're talking about here over this final stretch. Like a lot of information that has to be gathered and it, a lot of it has to be synthesized and analyzed correctly for this team to thread the needle the way that they're trying to do it this offseason. Um, but I think it's too early to like ring the alarm bells that Pascal can't fit here or anything like that because Pascal remains the best player on the team. It's just full stop. He's the best player on the team. Uh, and, you know, everyone else should really be fitting around him or anything else as opposed to him having to fit in with the new cast of characters that he's playing alongside and ultimately I think it will come around I just don't know if there will be time between now and the end of the season for it to fully reach its top functioning state which uh, again kind of makes it difficult to, to make these decisions and why I'm glad I'm not a front office man um, we're going to come back on the other side Big V get into you know just sort of results wise what would success look like for the Raptors here is there a record you have in mind? Is there an advancement level in the postseason you have in mind? We'll get to those questions to round it out in one sec. Before we do that, however, must tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, the number one sports book in America. And with the NBA season ramping up right now, there are excellent games each and every night, and it's a perfect time to get in and download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers drained. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. I've talked about this before. I'm not much of a sports better myself, but when I do dabble, it's when I'm at a game in person and I want to get in on the action with a little same game parlay of that game I am in person watching in the flesh. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA and locked on. And please play responsibly. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day as we dig into some big picture questions about the Toronto Raptors in their final 15 games beginning tonight in LA against the Lakers without LeBron James. Please win. I know the Lakers are playing all right basketball lately, but uh, boy, oh boy, would be really a bummer to come out of this three-game stretch against the Clippers and Nuggets and Lakers, having played, I would say, six really good quarters against those, those the previous two teams out of eight, and come out with nothing in the win column as you, you jockey for position and all that stuff. Um, Big V, as far as just like pure results, here to the end of the season, 15 games, Play in postseason. What for you will register as a successful close to the season, if anything? Maybe it's not about record at all. Maybe it's just about all the stuff we're seeing on the court. Also, you can drop in the comments what you think as well if you're watching on YouTube, sort of what's your barrier for success between now and the end of the year. But Big V, what say you? Yeah, I mean, success would probably be about a 10 and 5 record. Yep. I think they're more likely to just be what they've been all season, which is just like 
a 500-ish team. <laughs> yeah, you can go seven yeah. and eight or eight and seven and get uh-huh. to around 40 wins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're stuck with that same feeling of, uh, what what are they? What can they be? Um, and so I think that's probably the way this shakes out over the final 15 games. Uh, but things can get funky at the end of the season, right? Like, for example, if you look at that final game of the season against the Milwaukee Bucks, that's a 1 p.m. game on a Sunday, and the Bucks might have the one seed wrapped up. So yeah. that's a game you win that you might not. Uh, and then you got the two was, against Boston. You got the two against Maybe Boston. Maybe they're already wrapped up too, yeah. If, if they've wrapped up the two seed, what does that look like? So uh, this can get very funky towards the end. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. But I do think that more than likely, they will probably be right around that 39-40 win mark. Hmm. to finish the season and would you find that to be it'd be whatever satisfying do you care about the record success wise at all here well if they only finished up with seven eight wins um or even fewer then i think that signals to me that there probably isn't long-term success to be had with Hmm. this roster makeup right yeah I, i mean I maintain that I think, you know, and I've I've been guilty of thinking there's a good team hidden in here all season long. I'll admit that. Uh, and I don't think I'm totally out to lunch in saying that. There's lots of good things going on here and a lot of bad things as well. That's kind of clouding the whole picture. You know, I still think if you can finish reasonably well here, nine and six, even eight and seven, depending on the quality of the wins, right? Like if you can go and beat uh, the Heat in your last big game with them, if you can take down the Sixers in your last game with them, and maybe you, you know, you give it back against the Bucks in those two games and the Nuggets or whatever, but like if you can, you know, acquit yourself admirably in these big games, finish barely above 500 and more so I think kind of refine some things offensively and defensively like if the defense can continue to play at the clip it's played at over the last 11 games I think that to me would be a very encouraging sign like I think the defense has been righted (laughs) in a lot of ways since the arrival of Yak I'm just gonna drop in here to see where they're at uh, over the last 11 games officially on the defensive end but they're much better they're much improved they are ninth in defense since the Yakka Pirtle trade. If you can kind of maintain that top 10 clip around there uh, over these final 15 games, I think that would be success to me. If the offense can find some sort of pathway to not scoring exactly 100 points every single game, that would be awesome. Um, You know, I think maybe that's a little bit less likely than the defense looking like a solidified, pretty damn good unit. Um, But yeah, you know, if you can find yourself into that 7-8, Boy, that would be helpful. I know the Hawks kind of have, I think they have two games right now in the lost column on the Raptors. The Raptors don't play the Hawks again this season. Um, I think the Raptors have the tie break, if I'm not mistaken. Or it's tied at two, and or I, I, I'm missing that. But, um, you know, I think if you can just finish above 500, get into maybe the eighth spot, and not have to play two on-the-road do-or-die games... To me, that would feel like, all right, they've, they've got enough here to feel all right. And, and maybe you shouldn't be judging anything on a 26-game stretch, right? Like, maybe we're all fools for looking at this post Pertle acquisition and saying, these 26 games will tell the whole story of the Raptors franchise going forward. That's a pretty risky game to play. Small sample noise and all of that. But 
they're working within the confines they've kind of created for themselves. And if they can finish off a nine and six, um, even a 10 and five, well, that would be lovely if they could pull that off. But an eight and seven, nine and six with like pretty good underlying numbers and things under the hood that look like they're trending in the right direction. I think you'll feel pretty satisfied about that. And then, you know, obviously the off season, boy, big V the off season. I'm not ready to talk about. It's going to be, I think one of the more, like fascinating and certainly one of the most pivotal off seasons this team's ever had. Have you like, like what's your temperature check just on the off season in general? Like, are are you feeling good about the position they find themselves in? Do you think the front office is regretting it all painting themselves into this, you know, something resembling a corner with their decision-making this off season with the pending UFAs all in the books who in theory they want to bring back? Like where are you at as far as just like a temperature check on the difficulty level of this off season to pull off with now 11 games of Jakob Pertl informing that? Yeah, I don't think there's any sugarcoating it. They are in a corner, and they mm. have to get themselves out of it this offseason. They have to figure out the direction of this core. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one, if not two, moves are needed uh, mm. in terms of changing the look and how it moves and how it looks going forward. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think this needs to be a big offseason with changes coming. Um, I think in terms of uh, being patient, I think this is sort of the finish line of that process. Yeah. Um, And I think you've got all the information you needed in terms of what, you know, five, six, eight, six, nine guys on the court looks like. Well, (laughs) the need for a center, uh, the need for a point guard. Um, And so you've got a lot of questions answered. Uh, then you've given yourself questions with the upcoming free agents between Jakob Pertl and Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. And so, yeah, they've really got to got to thread the needle and hit a home run here because uh, they've been looking a lot at a lot of pitches and taking a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> I get, what's your confidence level that they can in fact hit the home run right now? I, I, I still believe a lot Without, in this front office. So yeah, if, me too. Yeah. If, if I if I had to like if you were to drop all the things that need to be done and then pick which front offices would be most likely to pull it off, I would mm-hmm. still put the Raptors front office in, you know, at or near the top of the list. Mm-hmm. So uh I believe they can get it done. Um now it's a question of uh again, maybe what is their level of belief in this core group? And so if they go one way, when I think it's, at least to me, fairly clear that they should be going the other way, then, you know, I, I think my doubts uh, would increase. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be hard to try to parse over this short stretch, like what matters, what doesn't. Like what's a what's a big burgeoning trend? What's a trend? What's a, an, an issue that feels confined to this sort of getting to know each other phase of this new look team, right? Like there's a lot of information, some of it noisy and not really all that telling. And some of it probably bigger picture telling it's parsing what the stuff is that matters here. That's going to be the challenge. And I'm glad I don't got to do it. Um, But yeah, I'm at the point now where I think basically anything is on the table this offseason not i don't even think it should be necessarily like you know me i'm classic run it run it back dude and uh you know see what can kind of 
percolate over the course of a full season. And I do think, like, I've seen enough promising stuff from the guys they have right now that if they just choose to bring everyone back, you know, it'll be tough financially to make it work, but it can be done, uh, especially if you, you move on from, like, a Thad Young or you, you cut some money elsewhere. Like, there are ways to do this and keep your core six and, and return them all and, and kind of give it one last shot next year. Um, you know, I wouldn't be upset if they did that at this point. I think there's enough here to kind of build on from what we've seen over these 11 games that, like, yeah, w- with more time, with hopefully some incremental growth in the shooting department for some guys on the team, um, that there is something to salvage here and something to build with to, you know, that has upward mobility. But I also wouldn't begrudge anyone for thinking, eh, this offense looks pretty grim. The spacing's bad. Something big might have to change here. There's a lot of outcomes, <laughs> and those outcomes will either expand or be trimmed down, depending on, I, I think, how these last 15 games go. It's going to be interesting, man. Just get a win on the board tonight against the Lakers, man. Like, I feel like it, I've been stewing because the second half against the Clippers was so ugly, and, like, the ref stuff has just been such a, a bummer to think about this week that you kind of are already forgetting a lot of the good things we've seen from this team. I think it's just like you're right in the moment of all oh, six and five. They're kind of got a negative net rating. Like maybe they're not very good right now. I do think the, 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 on the whole, they've looked like a more competent, pretty good basketball team and competent and pretty good is a, is a pretty good thing to shoot for when you've been what they've been for most of the season. So we'll see fascinating final 15 games here. I'm not, telling tales at a school or having new revelation by saying that but uh you know it's uh it's pivotal stuff man (laughs) and it's it's not a lot to say that the future of the raptors franchise hinges upon these 15 games in a pretty significant way and i guess that adds some like intrigue and juice to all these games to watch i'm certainly excited to watch all these games even if i'm gripping my seat with fear at a lot of times as well we'll see Big V, this has been fun, man. Thanks for popping on. Anything you want to promote for the good people out there? Usual stuff, raptors.com. You can follow all my work uh, on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Hell yeah. You can find me at Woodley Sean. Please go subscribe to the Locked On Raptors YouTube channel. I love you very much if you've already done it, and I will love you also very much if you do it now. I'll forgive you for waiting a year and a half to subscribe to the YouTube channel since we joined YouTube. Uh, if you could just go do it now, help us push us towards that 3K milestone. Uh, we'll be back again on Monday. We will break down the Raptors' uh, final game on their, their road trip here in L.A. against the Lakers and look ahead to the Nuggets game on Tuesday. We'll have Matt Moore from Locked On Nuggets on for a segment at some point Monday or Tuesday, so keep an eye out there as well. And with that... We will leave you to it. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Leafs as the Buds keep on being very good at hockey and a very pivotal stretch run continues to play out for them. So go check out Mike and Dave over on Locked on Leafs and we'll leave you with that. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye.